<clears throat> last week, I was talking about walking in newness of life. This week, I'm going to continue that theme, walking in newness of life. We found out last week that the Bible says that we have a pure heart. We don't feel that all the time, but that's what the Bible says. The decision that we have to make is whether we're going to believe the Bible and take it at its word, or we're going to go more by our emotions and our feelings and what's happening in our life. And it's very difficult. But the Bible says that we have a pure heart and we can trust our heart. Now, some Christians believe that we have a wicked heart. And to their credit, there are some scriptures both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that sort of indicate that that is true. But if you would research every one of those texts, both in the Old and the New Testament, you'll find that it's speaking about unbelievers, not believers. So we have a mixed message in the church today. Some teach that Christ is in our hearts, and yet, in another sermon, they will teach that we have a wicked heart. They say that the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart, yet we have a sinful heart. Well, which is it? There's not two of us. There's not two selves. There's only one self. We don't have two hearts. We only have one heart. And so it can't be both. I mean, God can't live in us and the devil at the same time. It's, it's impossible. It's not true. Now, <clears throat> last week we went to the text that I really love, and that's Ezekiel 36, 26. And we're just going to go over it again. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. Ezekiel had this vision, this prophet had this vision, that God was going to one day give us a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So here's how it works. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's a surgery that takes place. You've heard me say this over and over again. God opens you up. And he takes out that stony heart, and he gives you a new heart. He gives you his heart. And so in your core, in the deepest sense of the human being, in your core, you have a pure heart, a perfect heart, and you can trust your heart. Now, in Romans 6.17... The Bible says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, every single born-again Christian has been a slave of sin at one time in their life. You became obedient from the heart. Now, I wish we could all get that impact of that. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And then in Galatians 4, 6, the Bible says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son 
into our hearts. Can you trust your heart? Of course you can. Christ lives in you. You can trust your heart. As a father was in the son, so we live in Christ. Christ calls us to a life of righteousness. And it's by your consent, it's by your willingness to say, Christ, yes, I'm yours, you can live, in, you can live your life through me. By your consent, that life of righteousness is lived by Christ through you. Christ calls you to minister to the needs of humanity. And by your consent, by your willingness to let Christ live through you, he will minister to the needs of humanity. Christ calls you to go into this world and preach the gospel. And by your consent, he does just that through you. This morning, I just wanted to develop that theme a little bit more on willingness, walking in that willingness to be available to God. Jesus Christ as man was with God, was God, and is God. He became man, but he became man as God intended man to be. When he created Adam, he intended a certain, a certain life for Adam. But Adam bought into the lie, and he sinned. And every one of us were born sinners. And so the Bible said that we had to be reborn. Christ came down to earth so that we could see what God intended for man to be and behave as God intended man to behave and walking day by day in that relationship to the Father which God has always intended it should be between man and him. In Philippians 2.6, the Bible says this, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So here we have all of Jesus' reaction. Every decision that he made, he made as a man, even though he was God. When he took on humanity, all the decisions that he made, he made as a man. He knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he was going back to God. He knew this. He came from God, and he was going back. In John 16, the Bible says this, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. He was to be eternally with God in the future. 
from the father to the father. And then there was those 33 years. Eternity came, 33 years, and eternity in the future. He came from the Father to the Father. He knew that the Father had given him all of the deity, all of the authority, and an inexhaustible supply of power. He knew that as he walked upon the face of this earth. In John 13, 3 and 4, the Bible says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper. This was at the Last Supper. He got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself and he washed the disciples' feet. God was on his knees. There was never a moment in the life of Jesus Christ that was without divine significance because he was, and he was, he was never anything else than God. He did never anything, never took a step without God the Father directing him. Jesus Christ was completely man. And for the first time since Adam fell into sin, was there on earth a man that was intended as man to be. Some have questioned the power of God the power of Jesus Christ, what he did and how he did it. And some have questioned, was it more spiritual raising Lazarus from the dead or was it more spiritual washing the disciples' feet? The answer, no activity was more spiritual than another for it was all originated from God, the Father. In John eight twenty nine, the Bible says this, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So what do we Christians, what do we quote when we think about our salvation? Greater is he that is in, the, is in me than is in the world. We quote, he will never leave me for, for, nor forsake me. And here Jesus Christ is saying, and he who sent me is with me. He was living in Christ. He who has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. We are told that when the Father looked down from heaven before the beginning of Christ's ministry, so Christ walked on the face of this earth for 30 years as a man. He was a child. He was a son. He was an apprentice. He was a craftsman. And the Father said in Matthew 3:17, and behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. He did not live a victorious Christian life because he did not commit sin. His absolutely availability to the Father for every moment of those 33 years enabled him in his humanity and to have the Father's deity to do in and through the Son is exactly the same as Christ wishes for you and I. He wishes that 
we would come to the place where we would actually believe what Scripture says, that Christ lives in us. He is our hope of glory. And if we believe that, our only desire for him is to live his life through us. That's the whole purpose of living out the Christian life. He was and is God. And there's another principle involved here. The perfection of Jesus Christ was twofold. The Bible leaves absolutely no doubt about the absolute perfection of Jesus Christ. And yet when you go to the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 2, the Bible mentions it that he was being made perfect. Well, what was he? Was he perfect, as the Bible tells us? Or was he being made, as the Bible tells us? This is the confusion that we have today. We have, there's so much theological debate on Hebrews, and, and here we find that, that who, who, whoever authored the, the book of Hebrews, he says that Christ is being made perfect. What does that mean? I mean, here Christ said to Peter in the presence of Judas and those that were arresting him, he said to Peter, he said, thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. But if he would have spoken those words that <clears throat> to the father that go ahead and send those 12,000 legions of angels, then he would have bypassed the cross. And if he would have bypassed the cross, we would have no form of salvation today. So, there's two ways that we look at Hebrews. Hebrews 2 says he was being made perfect. What does it mean he was being made perfect? He was already perfect. He was perfect in person, but not in vocation. He was sent here to this earth to die for the sins of the world. And in order for him, he still had not fulfilled that. And that was going to be a process of obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. And before he bowed his head and he, he uttered those words that will, will cry out forever, he says, it is finished. When he cried out, it is finished, at that moment, he was made perfect in vocation. He was perfect in person. But he came down here for a purpose and he was being made perfect and he had to follow through with that commitment he made to the Father that he would die for the sins of the world. So whatever you discover to be on the basis in the life of Christ in the relationship to the Father, that must be the same with us for our relationship with Christ. Christ only wants our availability. He doesn't want our works or anything else. He just wants our availability. And why? So that he can live his life through us in everything that we do, in every person that we meet, in every transaction that we have. He wants to live his life through us. In <clears throat> Romans 11, 
Uh, and behold, excuse me, and behold, for, for from him and through him to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. From him and through him and to him. It sounds a little confusing when you first read it. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. If I were to ask you, do you have eternal life? What would you say to me? You could say to me, yes, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I have eternal life. And if I asked you, when does that eternal life begin? You would probably say, some of you would say, when I die then I enter into eternal life. But here, according to this, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who has the Son already has eternal life. You and I already have eternal life. We're not waiting to die before we enter into eternal life. The moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we entered into eternal life. I mean, that should give us all a great deal of comfort. Eternal life is having Jesus Christ himself. So when we, when we constantly say, and we do, we constantly say that Christ lives in you. Galatians 2.20 has been one of the most popular texts for the last, I think, six years in this church. Eternal life is having Jesus Christ himself living in us. If you are born again, you have eternal life. Eternal life is that quality of life that you possess right now. You possess it right now. I would hope that every one of us are enjoying our eternal life. But it seems like it doesn't work that way. It seems like we all think in, our, in the back of our minds that this life that we live, we don't quite understand how Christ lives in us and through us. And, and, and we sort of think we go to a funeral or we, and I just came from one and they said, you know, that now he enters into eternal life. No. The moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you entered into eternal life. We're enjoying it right now. If you are born again, you have it. You have it in your physical body right now. In Ephesians 2, 22, it says, In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So if you have eternal life, you have somebody. And that somebody is Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ living in you. What is your divine purpose? <clears throat> in, Ephesians, <clears throat> in Ephesians 2, 10, it says we... <clears throat> excuse me. For we... <clears throat> 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Why were we created? We were created for his, because we are his workmanship. Created in Christ to do good works. You don't have to look to do good works. It's in you. You will automatically do good works. You will automatically treat people differently. You'll treat your children differently. You'll treat your husband differently. You'll teach your, uh, teach your wife uh, differently. You'll be a different person because of who you are in Christ. You don't have to be somebody you're not. Christ wants you to be exactly who you are. He wants to work through your personality because you are unique and he wants to work, work through you and in you. <clears throat> so what is, your, what is that divine purpose? Is to live your life allowing Christ to live it through you. His spirit can only be fulfilled in the energy and the power of the one who indwells you. Christ walked in the energy and the power of the Father. He said, I can of myself do nothing. And then he said to us in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. I don't know if we understand the impact of that, but everything that we do is whether we are available to God to allow him to live his life through us or whether we decide that we're just going to go on our own. But he tells us that without him, we can do nothing. So we could spend a good portion or part of our Christian life doing nothing. If we're not relying upon Christ living through us, we're doing nothing. We're just surviving. We're just taking one day at a time. And we're not allowing Christ to live his life through us. In Luke 20, 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. If we understand the impact of what Jesus is telling us, he's saying to us that everything he did, he relied upon the Father. And he's saying that's what we ought to do. We ought to rely upon him for everything that we do. Whatever that job is, we ought to rely upon him to do it through us. What Paul said was, for me to live as Christ. And when the world looks at Jesus Christ, when he walked upon the face of this earth, they saw God. Kind of reminded me of a little story that this little girl was very poor. She had no shoes. And she was looking into a store window of a shoe store. And she was just looking at all the shoes, bright-eyed. And this lady came walking by. And she noticed that she had no shoes and that she was looking at the shoes. She took the little girl by the hand and brought her into the store. And then she went and she bought some socks, rolled them up, <clears throat> and then she asked the salesman to come and they fitted this little girl for shoes. It's the first pair of shoes that she ever had. She walked out of the store, looked up at the lady, had tears in her eyes, because this little girl had been praying that God would give her some shoes. 
And she said to this lady, are you God's wife? The world again will hear God and see God act. And he'll do that through us, through every one of you. One act of kindness, and they'll get a glimpse of what God is. It's an awesome responsibility that we have as Christians. God saved us, redeemed us, and empowered us. Every single one of us are empowered with the same power. Not one has more power than the other. It's all there. It's all God wants is our availability. It's all he wants us is just our willingness to allow him to do what he said he would do. You know, we have today a real problem, a real issue with Christianity in itself. I can remember when I was in the business world and people would say to me, you know, I don't like doing doing work. These businessmen, they said, I don't like doing work for Christians. And I thought, what a sad commentary that is. And then when I was in, in, in business for a while, I had a fellow that <clears throat> he had owed me like $5,000. And he was a Christian. And uh, he found my name in the uh, yellow pages of the Christian directory up there in Northern Virginia. And so I went to see him, and I said, Jack, I said, it seems like you're not going to pay me. I said, you're over 120 days. And I said, I guess you're just not going to pay me. And I kind of smiled, and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll forgive the debt if you take your name out of the yellow pages of the Christian directory. And he said, oh, sure, I'll do that. (laughs) So he took his name out. And I forgave the $5,000. Christians have an awesome responsibility. And Christ, his, his, only, his, his only wish is for us to allow him, to give him consent, to live his life through us, to dwell in us and live it through us. That's all he asks of us. He doesn't ask us to do any works. He's not there. That's not where it's at. It's allowing him to do the work for us. It is for you to be, and it is for him to do. It is for you to be available. It is for you to believe what God says is true, and then to allow him to do it. He's not asking you to do it, he's asking you just to be available just to allow him to work out his life through you. That's a real challenge for every one of us. It's a challenge for everyday living. And last week I mentioned to you the best thing that I have learned how to walk in newness of life is get up every morning, thank God, praise him for all that he has done, all that he is doing, and all that he wants to do through us. And then repeat that every day. It's a two-step program, very easy. It's not like a 10-step, 12-step, or anything else. Just a two-step. 
Get up, give thanks, and allow him to live his life through you. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you and we thank you for all the promises that you have given to us. There's a lot of things that we haven't understood completely and probably never will entirely. But there's one thing that we do understand and believe, and that is that you have come to dwell inside of us as believers. Now, we have some misconceptions about how that is done, but we know what you said is true, that you, that you will live your life through us. We're thankful that at our deepest core, we have you dwelling within us. And I just pray that you will not only meet every need that we have, but you will help us to trust that you will meet every need that we have. So you, I pray that you will bless us with a, a presence that, that maybe some of us have never had before. And that you would, you would reveal to us on a day-to-day -day basis just what, how much you love us and what you want to do through us. Bless us to this end, I pray. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.